Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Delighted to have you with us. As of this past weekend, no American should doubt we're in a Cold War with the People's Republic of China. Our F-22 fighter jets have had a busy week shooting down three airborne objects. With Prime Minister Trudeau's permission, a U.S. F-22 fighter jet shot down what was presumably another Chinese balloon over northern Canada. But it was described by the U.S. military only as an unidentified airborne object, the third such incident in a week. The day before that shoot down over Canada, an F-22 shot down a similar, quote, airborne object off the coast of Alaska where the Alaska National Guard and the FBI are working in extreme weather conditions to recover whatever remains of that object. Canadian authorities are carrying out similar recovery efforts in northern Canada, and the U.S. military has confirmed that the original Chinese balloon was indeed on a surveillance mission, which the Biden regime permitted to cross the entire country before being shot down by an F-22 off the coast of South Carolina. Oh, and did I mention Mitt Romney fully backs the Biden regime's decision to let spy balloons cross over the country for a week at a time? You don't suppose Romney's obsequious statement supporting the Biden regime has anything to do with the Wall Street Journal news report that the SEC is investigating the LDS Church's $100 billion investment fund for tax fraud? We'll see. I'm sure there's no connection, aren't you? As I said, a busy week for our F-22 fighter jets and add in another airborne object detected by radar over Montana Saturday evening. Fighters were scrambled, but Congressman Matt Rosendale, briefed by the Pentagon, said the fighters couldn't put eyes on the object that radar picked up about 30 miles south of the Canadian border. And NORAD issued later a statement that also leaves open the possibility that it was a radar anomaly. So we'll see. While that's going on at the northern border, expect to see hundreds of thousands of migrants flooding over our southern border. Biden wants to trade non-Mexican illegal immigrants for Mexican illegal immigrants. Sounds like a biden Mayorkas deal, doesn't it? Just when you think Biden can't get any crazier, he delivers another complication instead of a solution. And maybe, just maybe, he could order deportations of illegal immigrants because, you know, they are illegal and they should be deported. I know that's way too simple and direct for China Joe, and he sure doesn't want to offend his friends in the Mexican drug cartels who are murdering hundreds of thousands of American citizens with the fentanyl that they're pushing into the United States across that wide-open border. Let me be clear. Joe Biden's opening of our southern border is killing our fellow citizens. He is a murderer. No matter what else you want to call him, he is killing Americans with his policies. 
and everyone who's going along with him is just as guilty. Uh, yes, Mitt Romney, that includes you for agreeing with Biden's border and amnesty policies. Biden won't secure the border no matter how many Americans are killed, and China clearly owns him and his regime. Two House committees, oversight led by James Comer and Judiciary led by Jim Jordan, are pushing hard in their investigations of the president and his family's overseas business dealings. And the corruption of the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the role of Twitter and social media as well in censoring news media reports, blocking conservative voices, and influencing the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. Here are just a few of the highlights from the Jordan Judiciary Committee hearings. Chair now recognize himself for an opening statement. November 18th, 2021, an FBI whistleblower discloses to Republicans on the House Judiciary that the FBI created a threat tag for parents voicing their concerns at school board meetings. April 26, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI employees are being run out of the Bureau for attending conservative political events. May 11th, 2022, Another FBI whistleblower discloses that dozens of parents with the threat tag designation to their name are investigated by the FBI. This also happens to be the same whistleblower who said the FBI leadership, not the rank and file members, the FBI leadership is rotted at its core. His clearance has been revoked and he's been suspended. June 7th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower is retaliated against after giving feedback on an anonymous survey. July 27th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that agents are pressured to reclassify cases as domestic violent extremism cases to hit self-created performance metrics. September 14th, 2022, an FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI views the Betsy Ross flag as a terrorist symbol. September 19th, 2022, Another FBI whistleblower discloses that the Washington field office is deli deliberately manipulating January 6 case files. So the FBI didn't tell you uh, that, the, that it was fake, didn't tell you that it was hacked. Uh, and, and Mr. Roth, did the, did the story violate your policies? In my judgment at the time, no, it did not. Yeah, that's what you said. Said what I would propose, uh, excuse me, as you said, it isn't clearly a violation of our hack materials policy, nor is it clearly a violation of anything else. So I think what a lot of people are wondering is if it didn't violate your policies and they didn't tell you it was fake, didn't tell you it was hacked, why'd you take it down? The company made a decision that found that it did violate the policy. It wasn't my personal judgment at the time that it did, but the decision was communicated you know, to me by my direct supervisor. And ultimately, I didn't disagree with it enough to object. To you, know, you, know what, you know what I think happened, Mr. Roth? I think, I think you guys got played. I think you guys wanted to wanted to take it deep down. We saw what, what the chairman put up where you said, you know, everyone in the White House is, an, is a fascist. I think you guys wanted it to t be taken down. I think you meet with these guys every week. We know that's been established in the Twitter files. You had weekly meetings with Mr. Chan in the run-up to the election. They send you all kinds of emails. They send you documents on the super secret James Bond teleporter. You get information on that. Meanwhile, the Biden regime is refusing to obey committee subpoenas. And now the GOP committees have dozens of FBI whistleblowers bringing direct evidence of corruption to the hearings. The Biden regime is headed toward, I believe, an accounting in full in public view.
Biden says China poses no national security threat. Imagine that. He's shipping $100 billion in advanced weaponry to Ukraine, where he's also compromised, and he is playing with fire in Ukraine, a fire Biden let Putin start. Biden is significantly responsible for allowing Putin to have what Biden called at the time a small incursion a year later. Is it still a small incursion? I don't think so. So what is it going to take to wake this country up to what Biden is, what the Marxist Dems have become? They're destroyers, and the Republicans at least have begun to fight back in the House of Representatives. The Ukrainians have beaten back the Russian invaders, but now Putin appears to be mounting a force twice as large as he first sent into Ukraine a year ago. Putin is now threatening the small nation of Moldova as well and preparing, it appears, a huge attack on the eastern Ukrainian reclaimed Donbass region. And with increasing frequency, Putin is repeating his threats against the West, threatening nuclear war. He and the Kremlin say they will not lose in Ukraine no matter what it takes, including nuclear war. And now the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion is only days away. And most military experts never dreamed Ukraine could stand up this long against the much larger, more powerful Russian military. And I have to say, I didn't imagine that the Ukrainians would be able to throw back the Russians and, in fact, embarrass the Russian military. Our guest today is retired U.S. Army Colonel Doug McGregor. He's a veteran of the Kosovo and Persian Gulf Wars. Doug, it is great to have you back with us. Welcome. A year ago, I couldn't imagine Ukraine holding out this long. Could you? Well, I think you're right, and I think that's true for everybody, including the Russians, as well as everybody in Washington. When this business began, uh, it came after many, many years of frustration in Moscow with our unwillingness to recognize their legitimate security interests in Ukraine and our rejection out of hand of the notion that uh, Ukraine cannot be a member of NATO. Uh, and they wanted neutrality for Ukraine, and they wanted equal rights uh, under the law for Russians who live in Ukraine. All of that was rejected. In fact, the opposite was the case. And so they finally decided to intervene militarily in eastern Ukraine, in the area, frankly, where the population is overwhelmingly Russian. But uh, the problem was that the Russian military was actually quite small. It was designed exclusively for defense of the of the homeland. A very small force was committed to the operation. And I think the thing that shocked uh, both people in the West, I think us as Americans, as well as the Russians, is that there was absolutely no willingness whatsoever in Washington to arrange talks, to, to sort this out, to come to some sort of arrangement. So things dragged on for months. Uh, the Ukrainians were never winning as popularly uh, thought. They were always taking heavy casualties, and the Russians were advancing, but very slowly. The Russians finally decided, well, this war is only going to end when we end it. And so they decided to go to a war footing last summer. They're now on a war footing. They have 700,000-plus troops surrounding uh, Ukraine. They're about to launch major offenses that I think will end the conflict for all intents and purposes. And the great tragedy is, in the meantime, our unwillingness to talk with the Russians and negotiate an end to this thing has resulted in the destruction of the Ukrainian state and the Ukrainian people. Ukraine, which started out at about 37, or excuse me, 35.4 million people, is down to somewhere between 19 and 22 million. More than 10 million have fled the country. 
there were always two million plus working in outside the country in the EU and, and Great Britain. Uh, and uh, frankly, there are about four million Russians living under Russian administration in the areas of eastern Ukraine now. So within the area that Zelensky and his government control, there are only about uh, 19 to 22 million people left. They're, they're really bleeding Ukraine white. Uh, you can go on the Internet and you can watch all the videos taken by Ukrainians of the press gangs running around capturing teenagers on the street and forcing them into vans and taking them off to put on uniforms and fight at the front. And the casualties are horrific. So the whole thing is a catastrophe. One would have hoped that, like every other president that preceded him in office over the last 50, 60 years, that President Biden would have stepped forward and said, wait a minute, we, we can find a way forward. Let's talk. But instead of that, he did the opposite. He's escalated this thing. The outcome is that Russia economically is stronger than ever. Its military has now expanded to a, to a level that it has not seen uh, since the end of the Cold War. And we are in no position to fight anybody, least of all Russia. And we're staring down the barrel of a very ugly gun. And that is where we are today and where we were a year ago at this time. We still had a couple of weeks that the Biden administration could have used to have prevented this war. We know now what the intelligence agencies uh, were saying in the months leading up to what became the invasion. We know that there were about 200,000 Russian troops deployed from Moldova to, uh, through eastern Ukraine uh, on the Russian border uh, uh, in Russia on the Ukrainian border uh, and uh, in Belarus. We now see 700, an estimated 700,000 troops being massed uh, in western Russia ready to, to attack. We know what happened back on the 24th uh, and the fallout from not proceeding to destroy the enemy uh, as its first objective. This looks like this is an entirely different uh, uh, both uh, objective uh, and wherewithal for this assault. Well, no, you're, you're absolutely right, uh, Lou. This, this is a totally new ball game. let's put it bluntly. Uh, Russia, I think the, the leadership in Moscow is tired of hearing us demand regime change, tired of us talking about dismembering Russia and destroying its economy and its people. They've given up on, on any rational discussion whatsoever with Washington. Uh, they've listened to the Germans and other members of the uh, NATO uh, alliance talk about the fact that the Minsk Accords, which were devised, at least in Moscow's mind, to address some of the issues that I mentioned earlier about equal rights before the law for Russians, allowing them to speak their language and live as equal citizens in Ukraine, that that was a facade. There was never any interest in coming to any agreement with the Russians and certainly no interest in what happened to the Russians living in Ukraine. Merkel admitted that. And, and so the cat is, so to say, out of the bag. And the Russians have said, fine. And we've tried everything that we possibly could to destroy Russia short of attacking ourselves. And we are in no position now to challenge them. And I think what we're going to watch is the gradual destruction of what remains of the Ukrainian armed forces. I think the, the government at Kiev at some point will flee, probably to Poland and probably then to Miami or some of the places where they have their money stashed. And I think we're going to discover that we spent hundreds of billions of dollars on a fraud. Nothing, nothing was as it seemed. 
And we, we now have a very dangerous enemy in Moscow where previously there really wasn't. I mean, the Russians may not have liked us. We may not have liked them. But there was always a willingness to talk. And we had a reasonable strategic partnership with them against ISIS, against Islamist radicals. That's all gone. And in the meantime, you know, as you pointed out for years, China, sitting on the sidelines, has watched all of this carefully and has profited enormously from our diversion into this self-destructive war. And and China is giving much greater support to Vladimir Putin uh, and his forces than has been publicly admitted by the Biden administration, correct? Well, I, I don't know. It's a question of admission. I, I just think the Chinese see that they are on the menu as far as Washington is concerned. This is the most warlike, dangerous, reckless administration, uh, I think, in, in American history, certainly in the 20th century. These people are hell-bent uh, to hammer everyone in the world into line with what they think the rest of the world should look like. This is everything that was wrong with the Bush crowd and his successors on steroids. And so I think the Chinese have said, you know, if, if we back away from Russia and Russia for some reason isn't successful, we're next on the menu. So why should we do that? So I think we've ultimately succeeded in consolidating the, the Russo-Chinese alliance. Uh, I, and I agree with you completely. Uh, and we just received this from the Daily Mail, and you talk about recklessness, uh, uh, reckless aggressiveness on the part of this administration. The headline in the Daily Mail is this, folks, quote, did Biden give the order to destroy Putin's Nord Stream pipeline after the Ukraine invasion? Bombshell report claims Navy divers carried out mission to kill Russia's gas stranglehold on Europe in an audacious mission overseen directly by the president. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's a, that's an act of war. It's not just an act of war against Russia, per se. It's an act of war against the Germans. And we've treated the Germans essentially as a vassal state, bullying them into supporting this war against Russia and Ukraine. Uh, the truth is NATO, which, which the Biden administration insists as a sacred cow has in fact been severely weakened i i do not think nato is going to survive this entire experience i think nato is going to crumble it may not happen overnight but it's going to fragment because the europeans have now scratching their heads and they're asking the question why are we following the united states into this crazy war what what is our interest in destroying russia remember at the beginning of russia's intervention in ukraine the Russian force was small, and everyone stood around and said, oh, my, I guess the Russian military really isn't that powerful. And then the decision was made, well, if they're not that powerful and they're not acting ruthlessly as we would or as we did, certainly in Iraq and other places, then perhaps we can destroy it. And the response, of, of course, has been what you would expect the Russians to do. They've recovered, and they've built this enormous force. But the, the notion that Russia was ever poised to attack Europe was fiction. It wasn't true. And in fact, Russia today is in no position to attack Europe or NATO as a whole. But if we intervene in this mess against what's happened in Ukraine and we try to push this issue further with, with Russia, then I think we will have a massive war and the Russians will not hesitate to mobilize millions and march west. It, I don't think they want to, 
But that's exactly what they'll do if they feel they have to. And we are giving them nothing. We are unwilling to talk. We're unwilling to consider anything. Eisenhower would have put a stop to this in two weeks, as you pointed out. I don't think Kennedy would have allowed this to go on. Even Johnson, who is probably closest to Biden in terms of corruption and stupidity, would not have directly challenged uh, the Soviet Union to a conflict. So, no, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a bizarre situation. And you, you've been talking for years. I listened to you when I was on active duty talk about the terrible condition of our finances, our economy. We still have this open border. People are worried about a Chinese weather balloon. There's a Chinese intelligence presence in Mexico. Thousands of Chinese have come into our country illegally. Along with thousands or millions of other people, we have Chinese scientists and engineers in our universities and our corporate laboratories. Nothing is being done about that. And yet we want a war head on with Moscow. It makes no sense. And I think that any close watcher of uh, President Biden in his years as vice president, uh, before that as a senator, uh, head of the Foreign Relations Committee, uh, over these years, not making sense has been his long suit. Uh, he, is a, he is an erratic uh, and I think extremely intellectually limited uh, individual. He's now, all, to add to that, impaired and and without apparently any check within the administration. We do not know what he is capable of, but what he's already demonstrated should be enough to, to scare the dickens out of any American about what he would do with a, a military threat. Uh, he Well, well Lou, you're, you're 100% right, and the question that comes up in many, many circles these days that I travel in is, do you really think President Biden is in charge? Who is actually driving this? Who is making the decisions? And I, I think those are valid questions, don't you? Oh, I think they're very valid. And I think that uh, on this broadcast, I tell you, we explore those issues uh, frequently because there is no way this man in his mental state, his cognitive uh, limitations, uh, there is no way he could be the intellectual force behind the anti-American Marxist uh, effort to to upend everything American, our institutions, our values, uh, to take over our schools. This there is nothing in this that is haphazard, unplanned, or without specific purpose. And I'm talking about the destruction of public education, uh, the uh, indoctrination that has been uh, driven into our uh, our schools by the two uh, two large public unions that happen to represent teachers, so-called uh, higher education that, as you point out, is infiltrated with Chinese uh, front uh, institutions, organizations, associations, and their students who are here but they're not messing around with humanities. They are in advanced uh, physics, uh, mathematics, uh, theoretical mathematics, as well as applied. Uh, they are acquiring intellectual property and knowledge from the United States and technology at a rate that is breathtaking. And we've been fully aware of it for a decade. Yes. Uh, I, I usually compare the, the Chinese influence in the West, especially in our own country, is analogous to a, a crime syndicate. 
if you leave your doors unlocked, if you don't uh, take care to ensure that your valuables are stored somewhere safe and you walk away from your house for a few hours, they're going to come in and steal everything you own. And this is the problem that, as you pointed out, for many years, we can address these things. We can close the border. We can restore the rule of law. We can get those U.S. troops that are sitting in Poland, 50,000 of them, and put them on the border where they'll do us some good. We can do all of these things, and we're doing nothing, absolutely nothing. And I, I don't understand why the American people are not mobilizing by the millions against us because their country is at severe risk of going out of business. I don't think they understand that. I think you've, you have just articulated the essential issue confronting the United States. Why are Americans so apathetic, so reserved in a moment of ex existential threat uh, and internal, internal distress that is driven by one philosophy, and that is one party that is now a Marxist dim uh, fifth column in the United States. I, I don't believe there's another, uh, a better uh, uh, analogy for what they're doing. This is not just a political party. This is a movement. It is, it is without question a, a Marxist organization hell-bent on destroying this country, our institutions, uh, our constitution, uh, as well as anything, anything that uh, is remotely akin to truth, justice, and the American way. Well, if you look uh, or pause and look at the American military establishment, uh, you see that it is in ruins. Uh, we're certainly spending more money than the rest of the world combined on the Department of Defense, but then you have to look carefully at where the money goes. How much of that money is earmarked by people in Congress for their personal benefits, uh, whether it's uh, benefiting them or their constituents in their particular district or state, but it doesn't have a great deal to do with effective defense. Look at the senior officers. I mean, good Lord, we have more four stars, more three stars than we've ever had in our history for the, probably the smallest force that we've had since before the Second World War. We have right now 44 four-star generals and admirals oh for God. a military establishment that is barely a million, and we can't even recruit for it. And during World War II, when we had 12.2 million men in uniform, we had seven four-stars. And somehow or another, miraculously, those seven four-stars managed to be effective. We've got 44 the only thing they seem to be able to do is retire on very fat pensions and go to work for the various defense industries, banks, and lobbyists that have gotten us into the mess we're in now. The corruption is complete in our federal government. It includes the military. It includes law enforcement, the Department of Justice, our intelligence agencies, the FBI. The corruption is pervasive. It is deep, deeply entrenched, and I, for one, Doug, I have no idea in the world how to rid ourselves of this level of corruption. I, I think that it's unprecedented uh, in, in really in governance, uh, not just in the United States, but this has been a silent coup that has taken place over th 30 years. I, we can argue the number 35, 30 years. But to have insinuated this many like-minded people into the permanent bureaucracy 
the so-called deep state uh, and the Democrat Party uh, is just it's, it's mind boggling to think what they've achieved uh, while the Republican Party and our social critics in academia were utterly blind to it or at least averted their eyes. Well, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. The problem is if Americans are expecting anything in terms of viable leadership to, to bring us out of this crisis from the Republican Party, they're very much mistaken. Uh, I think there are millions and millions and millions. I, I suggest there are probably over 100 million voters out there, Democrats and Republicans, who figured out that neither party is remotely interested in this country or protecting their interests. The time is, is right, in my judgment now, for that huge number to stand up and say no more. I wish someone would finally stand up and say we need a new party. Yeah, I, I, think, that that, I think that's exactly where we are. Uh, those are issues that are going to be resolved, I think, within probably, if we're to, if we're to succeed uh, in, this, in preserving this republic, I think they have to be resolved uh, or at least begun a resolution, uh, certainly within the next six months, perhaps at the outside to the end of this year. Uh, I, I really and, don't you know, the other thing, the, the other thing that you brought up repeatedly on the economic and financial side is now coming to fruition. I hear people all the time say, oh, well, we've never defaulted. We've just got to print more money. We can't default. Well, we have defaulted. We defaulted twice under Franklin Roosevelt in 32 and 34. And those defaults were called restructuring the debt. We were able to do it because we were demanding and getting huge quantities of gold from Europe as payment for World War I debts. The next time we defaulted, and, and you've spoken about this, people don't understand it, came with Lyndon Johnson because of his great society and his Vietnam War. Nixon was confronted with the default, and we went off the gold standard, because once we left the gold standard, we could print. Well, now we're, we're in a very serious position. The world is starting to de-dollarize. We have bullied and threatened so many countries uh, over the years with the financial system that we control. They're just walking away from the dollar. Most Americans don't even know it, and the people on the Hill have no interest in telling Americans the truth. And so you know, the, the, the crisis is really on every front, Lou, every front. You're exactly right. And I don't spend as much time on this podcast as I should in talking about the dollar, in talking about the threat uh, that losing the reserve currency uh, status and standing uh, and advantages uh, would do to this country. Uh, if we can look at any number of perils it faces, but that one is uh, certainly uh, that would be uh, that would be approaching existential certainly. Uh, and I should do, to underline what you're saying. We have seen now 27 nations, 27 economies move back from the dollar, withdraw from the dollar circle, and as the reserve currency. Uh, as and is pegged to the dollar, that will have in time, if it continues apace, that will have uh, such devastating consequences economically uh, that I, I don't even want to ponder it, uh, frankly. Uh, but we do have to take note of also the policies being fall, followed by this administration. And, and, and Doug, it, it's almost impossible to imagine they've only been in office two years. But they are absolutely 
trying to destroy this economy. And when the president of the United States is standing before the, uh, the Senate and the Congress, and the American people, as he was last night, talking about creating jobs, when he was talking about actually jobs that were all lost in COVID, but simply uh, people came back to them, he's only created 2.7, but he stood there and said he had created 12 million jobs that this economy was doing just fine. We're not just doing fine. We have a Federal Reserve with almost a $9 trillion balance sheet that has to be run off. We have a Federal Reserve that has had the idea that it could manage markets. It is acquiring some modesty now. I won't call it fully humility, but we are in one hell of a circumstance. No, you, you've, you've hit all the key things. and. I just wish uh, more Americans could hear that than do, because, you know, I think Americans are good people. Most Americans obey the law. They pay their taxes. They make the best of whatever situation they're in. But I don't think they understand the bubble that their government lives in. When you go inside the Beltway, you're in a different world. You try to tell people that the food banks up and down the East Coast and into the center of the United States from here to Kansas City, uh, are hard-pressed to provide enough food to the people that actually need them because the situation is that dire economically. They look at you as though you landed from another planet because there is no scarcity in Washington, D.C. There is no scarcity of anything, least of all cash, certainly not food, certainly not, quote-unquote, the good life. So at some point, somebody's got to wake up and understand if you're expecting people inside the Beltway to save you, you're in for a long wait. I'm afraid that's the case. And as the president is uh, hailing his great success as an economic uh, uh, leader, <laughs> uh, right now, just about 70% of those surveyed uh, in this economy say they are living paycheck to paycheck, uh, almost a hand-to-mouth existence. Uh, and that is outrageous. I don't know. My guess is that that is uh, an exaggeration statistically. But the truth is, it is representative of a plight for many Americans. And to have it in the midst of so much, so much money flowing through the system that is landing in the pockets of so few uh, is is remarkable. One of the things we know, we know that the top 50 was talking about taxation. Uh, the top 50% of the, of the country uh, pay all of the taxes, but he was going after the so-called one percenters. The one percenters pay over 50% of all the taxes. The bottom half yep. of, the ta- of, the, of the tax uh, payers uh, pay something on the, I think, believe it's something on the order of 10% of all taxes. It, it's really quite something uh, to behold uh, the, the lies that ignore statistical and, in fact, uh, not just statistical representation, but the reality of the American economy and the American middle class, which is uh, is is fighting for its very existence right now. I want all to... those points exemplify everything that's wrong with our society. I mean, all you have to do is look at the distribution of the tax base. You know, your society's in trouble. Right, right, and you know, also to look at the distribution of the. Of the of the recruits into our military, the volunteers, uh, which now are not volunteers, uh, in point of fact, uh, we can't find enough volunteers 
to fill our recruiting goals. Uh, the Russians have a, had a way of rounding up 750,000. It's called conscription. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do, but we do know that the quality of the of the men and women who are now uh, being brought into the U.S. military standards have repeatedly had to be dropped. Uh, this is not the same military that was envisioned uh, and which was a reality for at least 25 years. This is something entirely different. Uh, and the and the general staff officers, I, I will say this, Doug, and I, I want you to correct me with your view. I think the quality of leadership in this military is frightening. frightening. Uh, I, I won't even put a, a, a quant, quantify it in any way. It's just frightening to see the quality of those general officers. Oh no, I, you're you're absolutely right, and and this is uh, something that's been going on for 30 years. You can argue that in many ways we peaked as a great power in 1991, and that's one of the things I like to point out to people. You know, we managed to get through 50 years, or excuse me, 40 years of Cold War without triggering a global conflict, without going to war with the Soviet Union or China. We managed to do that. In addition to that, when the Cold War ended and our opponents collapsed, we were prosperous. We were successful. Our, our economic strength was unmatched. Inside of just the last 12 months, we've collapsed. Our military is in ruins. And the Russians who, quite frankly, were not spending prolifically on defense, have now regained their former stature, and their economy is booming. There's something radically wrong with this picture, and you can't blame that on the American people. You've got to place the blame where it belongs, and that's in Washington with the Biden administration. It is, and at the same time, uh, the blame as well rests with the Republican Party, I truly believe. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you're 100% right. They shunted aside the most successful president we have seen in a four-year period, uh, I believe, uh, in the modern era, the most successful uh, with his accomplishments. And they feared him because he didn't fear the establishment. Uh, he didn't fear the donor class. Uh, and the result has been an, uh, just an unending political persecution of Donald Trump. Uh, it's it's it is a it's it's a sad moment. It is a moment, though, for people to put away tears uh, for what we have lost and think about what we must regain. Uh, Doug, I, I want to ask you as we conclude here. We always give our guests the last word, as you know. Uh, I would like you to give us a sense of how you see what looks to me to be a, a potential constitutional crisis. Uh, the military not informing President Trump or, as it turns out, uh, Biden uh, in 10 instances that were uh, nine instances of balloons crossing uh, into the U.S. territory. They did not inform the commander in chief. Uh, your reaction to what may be in prospect as a result of that, your reaction, if you would, please. Well, we learned we learned uh, when President Trump was in office that the senior leadership was not informing him of the truth. He gave specific directions, instructions that we would remove forces from Syria. And they said, yes, sir. And they did nothing. In fact, they added forces to the contingent in Syria. Uh, they told him repeatedly that they were doing things they never did. They simply ignored the president. And this process has continued. So I think you have 
a group of people at the top of the military now that are without oversight, without supervision, who are a force of their own. And that has, that's got to stop. A wholesale house cleaning of the senior ranks of the armed forces in order, and then a dramatic reduction in the overhead. You know, we look like a banana republic, frankly, with all of these three and four star generals. And people have no idea what the world was like before we got here. You know, when a, when a general officer with four stars like Douglas MacArthur retired as the chief of staff of the Army, his, he was reduced in rank to his permanent rank in the regular army of two stars. His rank was restored after the war broke out. But we had a very different military in those days. People did not expect to become millionaires when they retired. People did treated as godlike figures for the rest of their lives. Uh, we, we have a cultural problem. We have an economic problem. We have a military problem, all bound up with the Department of Defense. The only solution is to sweep it out and radical surgery to reduce this ponderous overhead. Uh, that's vitally necessary. And then we've got to get back to basics in terms of principles of civil military relations. You can't have rogue generals calling the Chinese to reassure the Chinese that we're not attacking them. What kind of nonsense is that? It's outrageous crap. The man should have been relieved on the spot. What are we doing paying for transgender operations in the military? Is that what the taxpayer expects from the American military establishment? And what are we turning out from the service academies? We just have girls and boys in uniform running around now. The whole thing is rotten to the core. I hate to be blunt, but I think that's where we are. Well, we expected you to be blunt, and we would expect you, as always, uh, to be articulate in uh, expressing your insights, your perspectives, and your wisdom. Uh, we really appreciate you being with us. Uh, Colonel, uh, you're a great American. We appreciate your time, and I look forward to talking with you more. Uh, and thanks, thanks for today, and thanks for your service to this great nation. Colonel Doug McGregor. Thank you, sir. Okay. Thanks, Lou. Thanks, everybody, for being with us today. This week, our guests include Congressman Byron Donalds, Judicial Watch's Chris Farrell, Dr. Robert Malone, on do we or don't we need masks, how good or bad are the vaccines, and joining us tomorrow, Congressman Mike Waltz. He sits on three committees, House Intelligence, Foreign Affairs, and Armed Services. Join us here tomorrow when we should know more about the Chinese balloon broadside over the U.S., Russia's plans against Ukraine, and is Biden a lame duck? What's next in the House investigation of Biden corruption? Please be with us here tomorrow for all of that and more. Till then, thanks for joining us. God bless you, and God bless America.